listening to The Fret Files, the Guitar Workshop Podcast with Eric Daw. To participate in the show, go to my website, ericdaw.com. That's E-R-I-C-D-A-W dot com. Click on the contact link and submit your question or comment there. I'll use it as part of the show. The other way to do it is to call or text 757-774-8482. Leave your voicemail there and I'll use that as part of the show. And now, the Fret Files Podcast. indeed welcome to the show it's the fret files podcast yet another episode my name is eric daw i'm your you can consider me your personal guitar scientist with over 25 years of experience building and repairing guitars sitting beside me is my lovely wife and co-host melissa greetings i will read the listener submitted questions and eric will try to answer them the best he can drawing on his experience as a professional luthier I'd ask you what's new, but we got nothing. We're just... It's oh, sa- yeah. Same old stuff. Guitar news. In other news, did you... Okay, so do, do, you, do you listen to the show? No. Do you remember when we were talking about whether or not there's a guitar shortage? Yes. 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 Uh, I, I started to get curious about that because, you know, the question caught me off guard a little bit because uh, I don't... I'm not really in the habit of buying guitars off the internet, right? Right. So um, I reached out to a few different guitar stores to see what they had to say about it. Is there really a guitar shortage? And here is what they said. Do you want to read the first one? Yeah. Frank from Thunder Road Guitars in Seattle says, Yeah, the guitar shortage is real. We've had a hard time because we are selling them faster than we can get them. Mm -hmm. Mike from Mike and Mike's Guitar Bar in Seattle said, We've had an absolute banner year. I think calling it a shortage would be significantly overselling it, but folks are certainly buying across the board, and we're super grateful. So a little different spin on it from Mike and Mike's. Trevor from Emerald City Guitars in Seattle says, It's harder to obtain guitars because of COVID and travel restrictions, but there are still just as many guitars out there. Yeah. Uh, Rulin from No Limit Guitar Company here in Idaho Falls. I reached out to him. He said, yeah, major guitar shortage. The Martins I ordered three months ago won't show up till March 2021. Whoa. Yamaha is basically out of everything. Really, the only vendor I have that's reliable getting me stuff is Schechter. Wow. I think I think the difference, because Rulin is basically ordering new guitars from factories, right? Yeah, and uh, mostly... Well, not with Martin, but a lot of them overseas made. So yeah, that and that's what I was gonna say. It, it it's gonna depend on what kind of business you have. You know, the vintage market really certainly nothing's happened there because the guitars are already made. Yeah, and the new market is if it, it, yeah the factories have been shut down. Right. Of course, it's gonna slow down. Right. So same thing like with me getting parts or trying to get parts. It's been a, a nightmare trying to get some parts. And um, it just depends on whether you're trying to buy, you know, order 
Yamaha guitars from the factory or if you're dealing in used and vintage. I don't know. Yeah. All across the board. Interesting. But I haven't had a hard time getting strings. A lot of things have just been yeah. business as usual. Well, I don't know if you know this, but guitar string manufacturing is an essential service. I don't think that's true. <laughs> Maybe it is. I don't, I don't think so. I really don't think so. Um, but, you know, somebody messaged me on Instagram about the parts shortage, just saying, hey, I listened to your podcast. What what parts are you finding it hard to get? And I just, I mean, a ton. So many parts from Goto and just just about everything. But I said to him, you know, if you're resourceful, sometimes you have to pay a little extra, like if you're looking around and some different supplier has the parts in stock, but maybe they're not, you know, like I have a wholesale account. So I'm when I buy tuners, I'm buying them wholesale. But uh, the difference between wholesale and retail isn't 100% like it used to be. Yeah. Uh, because things are marked down so much nowadays. So, you know, I might be able to find tuners from a different supplier, but there'll be more. But if you get super resourceful, like for a while, I couldn't get pig guard screws. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Now... If you, if you know a little bit, a little bit of knowledge can really help you here. So, you know, most guitar people would just call it a pickguard screw. But if you know about screws, you know that it's a number four oval head Phillips uh, sheet metal screw, half inch. And if you know that, then you can just go on the internet and buy it from any kind of screw supplier. Right. And why don't you guys know that? That, that should be <laughs> so easy. Well, what I mean is, th- these things have a name, you right. know. People right. say, uh, I, I, I want a, um, I need a, a humbucker mounting screw. Well, you wouldn't go into uh, a screw manufacturer or a hardware store and say that, right? Like, these right. screws have a name. Well, that works for screws, but it sure doesn't work for tuners or... No, no, right. Some, fret with, wire. Right. Some things it's, are, are definitely specific to the guitar industry. Right. But there are things that are not specific to the guitar industry, and you can get creative with uh, with some of that kind of stuff. Anyhow, that's that's really it on the news, just about, you know, guitar shortages, right? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Shall we do some calls? We have a few calls. Let's do it. I haven't listened to them, so I don't know what it's... I don't know what it's going to be like. Before we do that, hey, this episode of the Fret Files podcast is brought to you by Apex Coffee Roasters. Based in Waco, Texas... Apex Coffee Roasters, they they search the globe. They really do for for the best coffee beans available, roasting them in-house to unlock the natural aromas and flavors that make each cup an individual experience. You can order Apex Coffee online like we do. I mean, well, that's what that's all we drink. It's the best coffee. It really is. It's, it's good, good coffee. Fret Files listeners can use the pr- the promo code PINUP at checkout to get 10% off. That's from apexcoffeeroasters.com. Hey, Life happens. Coffee helps. ApexCoffeeRoasters.com. Check it out. And that's my cue to play a call. Unfortunately, I'm a little slow on the uh, on the part where I have to click on the thing. Hello, this is Bob Tedrow from Humble Music in Birmingham, Alabama. You used a term that I wish you would define for me. In episode 112, you used the term mint to describe what I believe other people are calling original. Whereas when I think of something that is mint, 
that means that it is like virtually unplayed and original from the factory and how that affects the value of a guitar. So I listen with interest on that because we do refrets on vintage guitars and resell them. Typically, if somebody brings in a guitar that needs frets, we charge them money. So I guess that does mean that if a guitar needs a refret, it's worth less. But if a guitar's frets are worn out, perhaps that is moot because it has already decreased by the amount of the fret shop. So anyway, just interested to hear that. Love your podcast. Love both of you. I'm a former leather worker. I used to be a therapist in the psych hospital, so I appreciate uh, the comments on leather work and straps. Carry on. Bye-bye. Cool. Very cool. Yeah, and I really appreciate that clarification because he, you're absolutely right. And if I used the if I used the term mint when I meant original, then my apologies because that's not what I meant. Mint is a word that is is people are a little too cavalier with that word. Mint is how it left the factory, like exactly the same condition as right. the moment it left the factory. Yeah. You almost never see a mint condition guitar unless you're taking out out of the box. Right. So people will oftentimes you'll see people call a you know a 1962 Strat mint and it's just not. It's yeah. just almost never. I mean, almost never. Original and mint are not interchangeable terms. And thank you for calling me out on that because I did not catch what I was doing. I, I got a little bit lazy there. So thank you. I appreciate it. Truly. Big difference. Very big difference. Uh, and now is the time where I'm going to play another message. But this is such... <laughs> As you can see, I am the world's greatest computer user. Hey, Eric and Melissa. This is Mike in Chicago. Uh, Eric, I've got a... I've got two questions, actually, about tuner bushings for you. Um, I've got a Fender strap. It's Mexican-made, but it's like a 50s-style strap. And it came with kind of vintage Klusen-style tuners. Um, and about 10 years ago, I replaced them with these kind of fancy Goto um, height-adjustable post tuners, which, mm -hmm. in retrospect, probably overkill. I don't think I needed those. But mm -hmm. um, but they're kind of cool, and they look very vintage, like uh, like old Klusen's. So... Um, but anyways, my question is this. Um, I've been kind of poking around with them and adjusting them a little bit. And um, the bushings that they came with are a little small for the holes in the headstock. Oh, I, hate uh, that. I measured the holes in the headstock, and they're right at about 11.30 seconds, which I've read is uh, supposed to be the right size for that kind of tuner. Um, but the bushings kind of wiggle around in there. So what I did was I had a... Ten years ago, I wrapped a little piece of masking tape around them to kind of make up the difference, and that makes them fit snugly in there. But um, is, my question is, is that lame? Does that kind of um, rob the, the vibration and the transfer of energy from the string to the, to the headstock? Does that matter in the bushing? I, I just don't know I'll the answer to that. Um, and if, if it does, is there a better method than masking tape? Um, and then the second question is this. Uh, I still have the old tuners, and the bushings for those are slightly larger. So without the masking tape, they fit just about as snugly as the Goto ones do with the masking tape, if that Same makes thing. sense. Um, but the difference is they're not quite as, um, I guess you would say, deep or not quite as tall. So if I were to try the old bushing, it doesn't quite, like, reach all the way down through the hole and meet the tuner. So that's quite, and the second question is, does that matter? Or should I just use the old bushings and not worry about the little gap 
that it would exist inside of the headstock out of sight. Um, hopefully that made sense. This, sorry for the long question, but thanks for the awesome podcast. And um, yeah, talk to you later. Bye. Thank you. Yeah, great question. I appreciate it. Uh, I would use the old bushings if they fit the headstock, but they're just not quite as deep. That I, I mean, that's that's what I would use. If you want to use the new bushings that are just ever so slightly loose in the headstock, uh, here is how I would deal with that. Now, you want to listen carefully to this because you don't want to misunderstand what I'm saying, okay? Okay. Because it's going to involve super glue. Okay. I am not going to suggest that you should super glue in the bushings. What you want to do is take the bushings out and coat the holes inside the headstock uh-huh. with just a little bit of super glue, right? I mean, the way I like to do it is put a little bit of super glue on a toothpick so that there's no chance of a bunch of super glue coming out of a tube or a bottle. Uh-huh. You just put a tiny bit on a toothpick, a drop, you know, because a toothpick will hold a drop. Uh-huh. Stick it in that hole, the wood hole in the uh, headstock, uh-huh. and just coat the inside of the hole with super glue. Then let it dry. Okay. Before you put the bushing back in. So right? do, do not glue the so, bushing in. And I know that this is, you know, the, what are you going to do? There's missing wood, right? I was going to say this is kind of a hack repair, but it's what else can you do? Aside from doweling the holes completely and then redrilling them, which for for the amount of space you're talking about, the width of a piece of masking tape, I don't think that that's worth it. So... That's what I would do. Coat the insides of the holes with superglue, let it dry, and then put the bushings back in, and they should fit snug. If they don't, one more coat of superglue on the insides of those holes. That's wow. what that's what I would do. Give that a try. I mean, you know, if anybody else has suggestions for how that can be done, call it in or send it in. You can use those conversion bushings, but those are those are way bigger. You'd have to ream out the holes, and that's the opposite direction we want to go, right? Right. Hello, Eric and Melissa. It's Dean and Bo. Sorry it's been so long. Uh, we we uh, thought you were dead. The podcast, but haven't had a question. Uh, I am a farmer by trade, so it's been a long summer, but now that it's slowing down, I uh, have been able to turn back yeah. to guitars. It's been a long I'm summer for everybody. in my workshop. Hey, uh, even though I didn't do much repairing of guitars over the summer, I did build a Stumac Telecaster kit, and I just got it done, and I've got a couple of questions. Um, I've got a lot, but here's a couple that are probably easy for you. Um, when I'm playing it, and I'm strumming, and I move my hand, I rest my hand a little bit on the pickguard. When I rub up and down as I'm strumming, um, I get a little uh, grounding or RF sort of interference. Um, you know, it's when I'm going over that wire from the neck pickup that goes down into the control cavity. So I'm assuming that I'm just getting close to it and it's, I'm becoming an antenna as I go over it. I don't know. What's your take on that? Also, my volume pot is pretty quiet when it's off. It's pretty quiet when it's all the way on, but in the middle, there's quite a bit of RF coming through. And I wonder what you think about that. Um, thanks again for the great podcast. Oh, I got a question from Mel too. Uh, so I got a new guitar and I pulled an old strap out and, um, old leather strap. It's got a little bit of mold on it. What's the best thing to do with that surface mold? 
Um, thanks again. I can't wait to hear your answer. Do you want to take uh, his question first? Yeah, then? sure. Dean, um, the answer to your question is I have no idea. <laughs> wait, you're not a mold expert? I don't deal in straps that are older than one week. <laughs> 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 uh, I, I make new straps. I buy new leather. I don't I don't know. I yeah, can I can revive leather that's cracked, but if it's moldy, I just uh, I, I guess you'd clean it, but I don't know with what or how. Yeah, uh, saddle soap. I doubt that would kill any mold. I don't know. You'd ha- don't you'll know. have to Google it, Dean. I'm sure somebody on the internet knows. We don't know. We that's, don't know. Well, that's the show, folks. Tonight. <laughs> uh, he wants to know his his. his I, what, what what was he saying? When he moves his hand over the pit guard, there's a sound. Yeah, like that. Like, so uh, is this when you're physically contacting the pit guard? Because you can get static electricity coming th- through your body through the pit guard into the pickup. I don't know if you're talking about that or are you actually not even touching it. If you're not even touching it, and it makes a sound as you wave your hand over it, are you then, are you a magician, Dean? Well, then I th- he might have a ground problem, you know, and if like especially when you talk about depending on where your volume knob is, you've got ground hum. Uh, I, you might have a ground problem in there. I don't know. You know, a lot of dudes, this is really common. People will bring me their guitar and they'll say, hey, my guitar has wicked hum. I don't know why, because I shielded it and then I look inside and sure enough, they shielded it, but never bothered to ground all the shielding. Mm. So it, it just makes it worse. Nice. So I don't know. I don't know if that's your problem, Dean. I have no clue. But you might have some ground issues going on in there. Maybe something to look at. Thank you, Dean. Hey, Eric. Uh, I'm a new listener, and um, I'm kind of at a bit of a crossroads. About 10 or 15 minutes into the very first episode, I've heard of you guys. I came across your podcast, and I guess I'd heard really good things about it. And uh, about 10 or 15 minutes in, um, I hear you guys start laughing at uh, Tom Bukovac. And, uh, well, I just thought I should let you know who he is, seeing as you don't seem to. I wouldn't expect a whole lot of people outside of Nashville to know who he is. But he is likely the best uh, session player in town. And that doesn't mean he's some bro country guy. He's been here almost 30 years, played with Willie Nelson, toured with Fogarty, toured with Faith Hill. Um, he's a wonderful guitar player and a beautiful guy. And um, he loves his vintage gear and vintage Gibsons. And I'm pretty certain if he was talking about the um, problem with the frets and the guitar being absolutely in tune, um, you know, I feel like he was addressing it more like a quirk because I know how much he loves his old 335s and whatnot. And he is in the studio all the time where all these things have to be directly in tune. And he was probably just saying, here's a little quirk about them that can sometimes be a problem. And I didn't even really hear you dissuade his argument too much other than to laugh at it and start pronouncing his name wrong. Um, because he did say the design was not the design with the 18, uh, the, the, the math with the 18 wasn't perfect. And I think he was just pointing that out. So I don't know what to tell you. Um, he's a beautiful guy, a wonderful player, and uh, he loves his vintage gear, and I'm not being paid to stick up for the guy. I'm just saying it was jarring because I really wanted to get into this podcast, and it's kind of one of the first things I heard. Um, so, I don't know. Maybe you laugh at a lot of people in your episodes and 
to start mocking their names and whatnot, but yes. it's good to just kind of look into who they are, what, yes. what the whole story is with regards to their knowledge. And then if it turns out that they really don't know what they're talking about, maybe they're not the best at it, like I guess you probably are. I don't know. Anyway, just knowing the guy, knowing what he stands for as a musician, as a gear collector, um, it was just bothersome. So I just wanted to pass that on. I'm not going to give up. I'm going to keep listening. I just had to get that off my chest before I continue. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Good. I'm glad you called, and I appreciate it. I'm, Dude, I don't know anything about Tom Bukovac, and I'm sure everything you said is 100% accurate. I'm I'm sure he's a a great, amazing session player, and... You know, it's uh, we. I didn't mean to laugh at him. What I'm tearing apart is this thing where, cause, because I run into this a lot. Okay, as as a professional luthier, I run into this a lot. Guys who claim to be into vintage gear but demand space age tolerances, and it drives me nuts. It drives me bananas because the two are not compatible. So, um. You know, it it doesn't have anything to do with Tom. It has more to do with my experience with that. So, and I did not even listen to his uh, what was it a podcast or a YouTube episode know. or yeah, something? The YouTube, YouTube video. Channel. So yeah, I'm sure Tom's the greatest. And as for making fun of his name, as oh, as yeah. you, right. I'm sure have heard if you have listened to any more episodes by now. I am terrible at pronouncing names, and I just have to guess. And when I guess, I usually get it wrong, and then we say, sorry about your name, and laugh about it. Yeah. Because I'm well, saying, sorry I pronounced your name wrong, because I am a hick from Idaho. The other thing about it is, too, that we're an equal opportunity podcast in the sense that <laughs> we laugh at everybody. Including okay? ourselves. I mean, I've been holding back things I have to say about Eric Clapton for years. <laughs> but someday, we're going to have an Eric Clapton episode. I laugh at everybody. Everybody's fair game, okay? From the top on down. And the other side of that coin is, you're free to laugh at me. You think I'm a fool? You think I'm an idiot? You think my podcast sucks? You think my hair looks dumb? Whatever you... Ha- whatever. I I welcome it. I think it's great because everybody has an opinion. It means everybody's participating. Everybody's yeah. paying attention. I am a don't care. sensitive person, though, so please don't yeah. don't laugh at me. Don't F with my wife. <laughs> but laugh all you want at me. It's great. Make fun of my name. I don't care. I get, you know, sometimes I search the internet for, hey, what are, hey what's the reviews on our podcast? What are mm, people saying? Yum, 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 yum. <laughs> and it's mostly good. But sometimes you read one that sticks with you, and you're like, Ugh. <laughs> it's like I read one that somebody wrote years ago saying, the podcast the pace is absolutely glacial <laughs> wow ouch <laughs> that stuck with me anyway shout out to tom bukovac who sounds like he's the man in nashville which is great and my comments about the uh the inaccuracies in vintage gibson fret placement were more out of frustration of people bringing up stuff like that to me because i Tell you what, I tell you what, I'm not going to put lock tuners on your vintage guitar. Don't ask me. I get that kind of stuff all the time. Anyhow, thanks for the call. That's it on the calls. 
What do you think? Where are we at here? Let's take a break and we'll come back with some, uh, some emails. We'll be right back. Do you have any idea what I do with my time? Let me tell you. It's consumed entirely by building custom guitars, repairing and restoring guitars, making custom guitar pickups. I make uh, r- replica Blackguard uh, Bakelite pick guards. These are all available online. You can go to my website, ericdaw.com. That's more the repair side of things. To see what's going on there, I've got a price chart. I've got, you know, pictures, examples of work. I've got a custom pickup order form. I would love to help you with your guitar repair or restoration or uh, just, you know, whatever you got in mind. Shoot me an email. Whatever. Give me a call. If you want to see the guitars I make, go over to pinupcustomguitars.com. That's P-I-N-U-P, like pinup girl. I always feel like I have to spell it. I probably don't. You uh, understand, I'm sure. Anyway, check it out, and uh, I'll see you there. Hey, guitar nerds. Visit MalcoLeather.com to check out a variety of made-to-order leather guitar straps, or you can email MalcoLeather at gmail.com for custom work. Every Malco guitar strap is designed and built by hand by me. Check out my Instagram at Malco Leather to see examples of my past work. And as an added bonus, I offer free shipping in the U.S. for orders over $35. Visit MalcoLeather.com. That's M E L C O Leather.com. Letters. We get letters. We get stacks and stacks of letters. Fret Files is my favorite guitar-oriented podcast. Thank but, you. But, oh, oh, wait, what? <laughs> Tom Bukovac is a real deal oh, Nashville studio be, guy. This, this is going to be the Tom Bukovac apology episode. We're not against Tom Bukovac. We just, no. we don't know who he is. We've never heard of him. That's Nobody's, all. Well, I, and conversely, he's never heard of us. And probably never will. Do you know what I'm will. saying? Yeah, right. Just, I, I mean, look, I've never heard of a lot of people. <laughs> Uh, he's not a luthier, but he's got skills for days. You should check him out. You may just be impressed. That's from Mel. Oh, did you write that in? I did not. You. Just why don't you read the next one? Because this is all going to... All right. Love the show, but Tom Bukovac is pretty much right about old Gibson frets. They're not mathematically in the proper place for optimum intonation. That's from Andrew. I think if you guys go back and listen to the show, you'll find that Eric also said the same thing. He just said... That's just how they were. They're vintage guitars. Some people like them that way. I think that everybody's agreeing here. And it also sounds like Tom Bukovac said this about the same thing. So everybody's on the same page. Everybody's on the same page. Right. Right. The guy who wrote in that question is laughing so hard because (laughs) he's just an expert troll. Right? Uh, Because he knew. He he knew knew (laughs) that I was going to go off about this. Well played, my man. Well played. As my, look, here's my comments about this. My buddy, he wrote me on Instagram uh-huh. about this. Uh-huh. He said, this is what he said. And I have, I didn't ask him if I could read this, but I'm going to anyway. He said, I have a program that I use, a computer program, right? Okay. All right. To lay out my fretboards. If I get bored, I'll modify it from the more correct 17.89-ish to the rule of 18. And I bet the error will be less than a sock herf on most frets. 
super accurate tuners have turned many guitar players into guitar intonators. Speedy West didn't even need frets to play in tune. I feel like you just threw right under the bus. No, what I'm saying is he that th- he's absolutely right. How do, how did I throw him under the bus? I just mean you've opened him up to criticism from all of our listeners. Now. Oh, well, I'll I'll go back and edit out his name. What I'm saying is dudes who who claim to be super into vintage gear yet demand these space age tolerances on everything, they just don't get it. They don't get it. A guitar is a tool to make music with, right? It's not a it's not a calculator, man. It's not a precision microprocessor for making calculations. It's like a it's like a paintbrush. A guitar is like a paintbrush, okay? To make art with. A guitar is a paintbrush, not a calculator. Okay, so you're saying that vintage Gibson frets are not in the proper place for optimum intonation, but you're saying it doesn't matter. I'm saying that we're splitting hairs here because the difference between where the frets are is so minute that it's completely overridden by the fact that you take your fat little finger <laughs> and shove a metal string down on a fret that's, you know, 40 or 50 thousandths of an inch high and then press it down, mm-hmm. the intonation ac- inaccuracies created just by playing the guitar are 10 times more than the inaccuracies of the, the different fret placement calculations. Okay. Okay? So your guitar is a paintbrush. Make art with it, right? Mm-hmm. You're going to sit there and count the bristles on your paintbrush, or are you going to paint with it? Because that's what it is, man. A guitar is a paintbrush, and it's not... The, the same dudes who can, who care about this kind of stuff, who are concerned about this kind of stuff, are the same kind of dudes who take their music into a computer and snap it to a grid and then auto-tune everything anyway, right? And then they wonder why we want to listen to Helen Wolf or Muddy Waters or Slim Harpo. Right. Okay? So take your dad blues and snap it into your grid and and take your locking tuners and all of that and just go to some other podcast with it. Do you need help out of the hole that you just dug for yourself? <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> We're going to have a flood. We're going to have a flood of, of angry listeners next no, round. No, not. And the only problem I have is that I have to go back and edit some of this where I mentioned a guy's name that I'm going to take out. Anyway, next question. Next question. Eric, Melissa, I heard a very highly distinguished New York luthier tell Michael Bashkin, Bashkin that if an electric guitar sounds good, is lively and resonant unplugged, it will sound good plugged in. Others have said that this is a prerequisite for a guitar sounding good. Pretty much think I know your answer to this. Hmm. Lastly, you have talked about using pine if ash ran out. Would that be old growth? Would second growth be too knotty, etc., similar to cedar? That's from Andrew in the UK. Andrew, I, I, I don't even want to think about it. I don't know, man. I mean, I... If ash it really is running out and it's going to be impossible to find in the future, then I don't know what I'm going to use. But pine is an option. Old growth, sure, if you know, if I can get it. But then what's going to happen? That's going to run out, you know? Old growth. That's the thing about old growth is... Uh, it's old. It's old, right? So I, I don't know what I'm going to use when we run out of ash. That's just, I guess, that remains to be seen. He asks... Uh, 
if an electric guitar sounds good unplugged, like lively and resonant, will it it will sound good plugged in? Yeah, I mean that I've always thought that as well. You know, it's not something that I think about all the time, and not something I test on every guitar. But yeah, basically that's the theory, right? I love electric guitars that ring out like crazy when they're not plugged in. You can just tell. You can just tell. You don't even have to plug it in. You know, but yeah. There you go. Hi, Eric and Melissa. Thanks for the great podcast. I was recently looking at some late 70s Ibanez lawsuit era guitars online, and I was wondering how close did Ibanez get in quality to the Gibson guitars they were trying to knock off? Like you, Eric, I'm cheap, so if I can get a great guitar for a fraction of the price, I'm all for it. Thanks again. That's from James. Cool. Thanks, James. Um, how close did Ibanez get in in the quality? in copying the quality of Gibson guitars. Well, I guess that depends on what era of Gibson you're talking about, because the quality goes up and down. You could graph it out. Uh, you know, and and the time frame that we're talking about when Ibanez was copying Gibson is the same period of time that their quality was kind of at a low point. So here comes these Japanese imports for a fraction of the price, and the quality is pretty good, and Gibson's quality has fallen, you know, so does it compare to the golden era of Gibson? No, not at all. It doesn't, probably doesn't really compare even to the bad era of Gibson, but they were so much cheaper, right? And they were pretty good that, you know, they were good enough that Gibson sued them. Right. So um, I, I think that that, I think that should answer it. Thanks, James. Hi, Eric. Love the show. A friend gave me an unplayable Silvertone 1418 electric guitar. It's a Sunburst Zero Fret hollow body made in Japan with a cheap-looking tremolo arm. I shimmed the neck to get it playable and put on new strings. The intonation is way, way off, but I can't see any way to adjust this bridge. The strings just sit on the edge of six metal discs that spin but don't move forward or back. Any suggestions? Mm. Thanks. That's from Mike in Boston. Thanks, Mike. Yeah, that's one of the Japanese import, like, Tysco-made silver tones. So that's not an American-made silver tone. Uh, You're going to have to move the entire bridge, right? I mean, I don't know. Some of those have, like, a... The bridge is screwed down, and some of them just have a floating bridge that's on a little rosewood foot. But, uh, yeah, you have to move the whole bridge. And I know the individual strings won't intonate, the individual saddles, but what you do is you intonate, and I know I've talked about this before on the podcast, intonate the A string and the B string. Some people do the outer E strings. But if you do the A string and the B string, then any other string is only one string off from being perfectly intonated. So that's what I do. Check that out. Hi, Eric and Melissa. I have a chip in my otherwise beautiful 1999 Parker Fly Supreme. Hmm. I posted a picture on Instagram and tagged the Fret Files podcast so you can see. It's about five millimeters across, and it is clear that it's a polymer finish when you see how crisply the paint has broken away. My main concern is stopping this crack from growing. I'm less concerned about the aesthetics. What materials and techniques do you suggest I use on a chip like this? Black CA glue, blue tape, and wet sand? Thank you both for giving us all so many hours of entertainment. That's from Steve in Bellevue. Thanks, Steve. Yeah, so uh, I I talked to him on Instagram about this, but yeah, I would use black 
CA Glue. Glue Boost is the brand that I prefer. Um, and yeah, fill that in. It, you know, it was on the edge of the guitar, on the black part of the sunburst. It looked almost completely black. It might be a dark, dark, dark brown, but it looks almost completely black. Black Glue Boost, CA Glue is what I would fill that with. And then you can... So you I, just fill the hole. You fill the hole. It's like a chip, you know, a big chip in the yeah. paint. Um, I just fill the whole area higher than the surrounding finish. Uh-huh. Then what I do, I don't sand right away. I'll, I scrape with a razor blade. And you can scrape it flush if you're good without really touching the the surrounding finish where sandpaper knocks down the surrounding finish too. Right. And that's where you get into trouble if you start sanding through color layers. Right. So I use a razor blade to to kind of scrape that flush with the finish and then a little wet sanding and polishing. That would he sent me a picture. It would pretty much disappear if it was done right. Cool. Yeah. That's the nice thing about black finished chips like that. Yeah. White finished chip is not going to disappear. But black, you've got some hope. Cool. Thanks, Steve. Greetings, Eric and Melissa. I have a question on back bows on a single action truss rod neck. I bought a Japanese Fender Jazz bass neck from a well-known seller on eBay. When I got it, the truss rod the truss rod was cranked to the bottom and the neck had a graceful but not inappropriate back bow, which didn't go away when completely loose, loosening the truss rod. I put on some heavy gauge strings with the truss rod loosened and let it sit for almost a month, but the back bow still wouldn't go away. I know you're a fan of the heat press method, and I tried that. I actually bought a heat press from a retired guitar tech guy here in Sweden. I thoroughly followed his instructions, and it worked great for like three months, but now the back bow has returned. Darn it. I have a couple theories on which way to fix it, but I need your expertise. What are your thoughts on either removing the fret, the rosewood fretboard and then re-gluing it under pressure so that you get a good relief from the get-go, which you then can remove the tr- with the truss rod. I have no idea what kind of glue they use on Japanese-built fenders. If it's epoxy, I'm screwed, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> or uh, try to sort of even out the worst back bow with a fret leveling using higher frets and be stuck with using heavier gauge strings. Or just throw it away and get on with my life. <laughs> Love your show and listen, and I listen obsessively. Best wishes from Stockholm, Sweden. That's from Peter. Thank you, Peter. Appreciate it. Um, well, here's another option that you didn't mention. I would press it again. You know, oftentimes heat pressing a neck, sometimes you have to do it a couple of times before it really takes. And you want to overcorrect it, you know, go farther than you need so that when it does relax a little bit, it relaxes into where you want it to be. Um, barring that, then, yeah, fret leveling, maybe a, a little bit of um, removing some frets and planing the fingerboard if it's not if it's not too bad. You don't want to do that if it's going to thin the fingerboard so much that it's going to look funny and cause problems. But, um, yeah, yeah, a little, bit of, a little bit of fret leveling. But really, try pressing it again because if it's... Truly, it does work, man. I mean, it, it really does. So that's that's what I would try first. Thanks, Peter. Hey, Eric. I know this is basically asking for free advice, but I trust your opinion immensely. I have a Harmony 80T that I dig. It sounds more stratty than many strats. It's not often I want to get those blues dentist tones, but when I do, it's right on the money. 
I'm thinking about replacing the tuners and bridge, and I wonder if you could recommend some decent parts that aren't super expensive. The tuners seem crumsy, cr- crummy and unstable, and the bridge seems cheap. Plus, the adjustment screws are super pokey. <laughs> the nut seems okay. The frets kind of suck, but that's beyond my pay grade, and I'm not ready to sink that much into it yet. Any thoughts or directions would be greatly appreciated. Hope you and your family are well. That's from Dan. Cool. Thanks, Dan. Yeah, free advice is what we're here for, man. I mean, don't worry about it. I love those Harmony H80Ts. H80-T. They're uh they're a cheap strat, uh, but they're 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 cool. Yeah. You know, in a cheap way. I mean, right. But you can get them a lot of times you get them for less than $100 if you know where to look. Wow. They're cool. And then you, you know, you put a little bit of money into them and you've got a great strat. I've got one in the other room. That, That's what the gold. My, my blonde. The Mary de- Kay. I guess it's desert sand. My desert sand with the gold anodized pit guard. Yeah, that's an H80T Harmony. Uh, I love those. So I've worked on a ton of those. Maybe, I don't know, probably over 20 um, over the years. You know, trying to fix them up to be players. And the funny thing is some of them, like, it seems like their jigs changed or they would do things by hand because some of them will work with certain per- with certain parts and some won't, right? It's like uh, the tuner spacing is all over the map. You know, they're not consistent. But um, if Goto Klusen copies will fit the Goto SD91s, then that's what I would do. I would go with those for tuners. Uh, Goto makes a tremolo also that I like. It's the VT100. But I know that those won't fit without some modification. You've got to fill the holes, fill all the mounting holes, and then redrill them. And you might even have to shave a little bit off the inside of the trim cavity to make it go back and forth smoothly. But that's the parts I've used every time I do this. Um, sometimes the tuner holes are just a little bit too far for the Klusen-style copies. And in that case, I've used a washer under the screw mm-hmm. to keep them down because... With that tuner style, you've got one screw for two tuners. The two tuners meet in the middle, and there's oh. a hole in between them. Right. And it and it keeps both tuners down. And the hole is the mounting holes on the headstock are just just far enough apart that the the screw misses mm. the tuners. Yep. So I'll put a washer under the screw, but over the tuners and over the tuners, which looks like hell. But it's a it's a ninety dollar strat. Right. I mean, it's obviously not something I'm going to do on a nice guitar. You wouldn't have to do it on a nice guitar, but um, that's what I've done in the past, you know. So, anyway, hope that helps, man. Thank you. Wait, wait, wait. wait. What about the bridge? Oh, I said the, uh, didn't I? The Goto VT100 bridge. It's a vintage style style tremolo, but you've you've got to fill and redrill the mounting holes because I'm pretty sure they don't line up. Fill and redrill. Fill and redrill. Thanks, Dan. Eric and Melissa, I know this topic has not been covered, but this might be the most boring question ever submitted, so forgive me. Eric, do you have any knowledge to dispense about repairing guitar cases? Oh. Thanks. That's from that's from Bruce in Seattle. Yeah, I've done a lot of it. You know what's funny is every time somebody drops off a guitar where they they want case repair... We talk about everything, and I write everything down, and then give them a price estimate, 
and then give them a time estimate, and then they start walking away, and then they'll stop, and they'll go, oh, yeah, by the way, can you fix the case? Okay, thanks, bye. <laughs> so it turns into like a, a thing where you, you know, you're kind of a jerk if you say, well, that's going to cost extra. Right. It seems like every time, it's always like an afterthought. Like, oh, by the way, the case, you need to fix that. Okay, bye. Um, yeah, case repair is can can be super time-consuming and frustrating and crazy-making. Handles break, hardware break, hit, breaks, hinges, the hasps on the front. Uh-huh. Um, sometimes they just start falling apart because they're made out of particle board or masonite or some crappy thing you know right tolex rips so yeah i've done my fair share of case repair but i i don't like it it's never it's never worth the time i mean you could never charge it as much you could never charge what it was worth right to do it but the parts are out there they make replacement handles they make replacement hinges and hasps and everything um Vintage case repair is about the only time that it would that it makes sense because cases I mean let's face it most cases are pretty cheap right and pretty easy to replace you know there's nicer cases G&G and all kinds of higher end cases but um those don't tend to break the ones that break are the crappy ones right i get a lot of times people will say hey can you fix the zipper on this gig bag to which the answer is uh no <laughs> If you have a broken zipper on your a, gig bag, take it a to seamstress? take it to a tailor. Don't yeah. take it to a guitar guy. For real. Okay. That does it for the show. <laughs> Thank you so much for tuning in. And uh if your name is Tom and you live in Nashville, we're and, sorry. Uh, yeah, we're sorry and and I'm You know what? Here here's I'm going to look up Tom Bukovac and check out his playing. Okay. You know, I've probably heard his playing. Probably. I love Willie Nelson. Yeah. I I'm all kinds of I listen to country. I listen to all kinds of country. I've probably already heard his playing. Anyhow, if you like the show, write a review. Hopefully it's a, a nice review and not like those other reviews. Jeez. <laughs> Send in a question. You can go to my website, ericdaw.com, E-R-I-C-D-A-W.com. Click the contact link. Send in your question or comment there, and we'll use it as part of the show. The other way to do it is to call or text 757 757- Seven seven four eight four eight two, and uh, submit your question or comment there. We'll use that as part of the show. Thank you so much for tuning in, and we'll talk to you next time. Good night. <laughs>